friends, and welcome to Beauty the Interviews, a podcast production of The Beautiful Project, a grassroots storytelling initiative that invites women to belong in the world with substance and with strength. I'm Sarah Stevens, the founder of The Beautiful Project and your host for this podcast. Out of everything that I get to create for this project, this part is for sure my favorite. There's just nothing like the experience that I've had sitting down with women what most would consider to be ordinary women, and inviting them to a space that welcomes all of who they are. These women in these interviews are so raw and vulnerable and honest, and they are anything but ordinary. They respond to the invitation that I extend by offering the parts of them that they normally hide from the world, and that is a gift. It's a gift that I get to share with all of you. Speaking of gifts, it's kind of an appropriate day for gifts, as this interview will go live on Mother's Day, a day designed to honor the women who help shape our understanding of the world. As I move forward creating the beautiful project, I'm often consoled by the common experiences that women seem to have around their relationship with their mamas. I can't count the number of times I've heard a woman say, I know she didn't mean it this way, but there was this one time that my mom, and so on goes some details about the unintentional harm caused by the women who have brought us into this world. I know that I've done this to my own daughter. I've watched the weight of my words or my actions, spoken in haste or committed in anger, settle onto her delicate shoulders, causing her to slump just a little bit. I've been present for the times when my own wounded insides have come spilling out into the space between me and my kids, and I've worked hard to clean up the mess that I can create there. And I think that's what most of the mamas are doing. They, or we rather, are doing the best we can with the tools that we have available to us. Loving these tiny people who are trusted to our care with as much fierce and fiery passion as we can muster. And these stories, their stories and our stories, they are intimately connected to each other. Because our mothers make us, we are formed from their bodies and shaped by their spirits. Our mothers are a link to a lineage of stories about bodies, about beauty, and about belonging. So on this Mother's Day, I thought it might be a good time to honor the intimately woven connection I have to my own mama's body story. Thankfully, she thought it would be a good time for us to do that too. So I give to you my interview with my mom on this Mother's Day and hope that in some ways it will help you remember your connections to the women who have helped shape your understanding of the world around you. Are we on? We are, but I can always, I always edit things, but I have to do Hello, a little Hello, this is mom. This is, this is mom. And she doesn't need any further introduction. Normally I have to go through a whole thing, but this is just my mama, so cheers. Cheers. Welcome to Beauty the Interviews. Well, a couple of things. First thing is that when I made the project... I, uh, one of the tenets of the project is the love letters, and those are letters from mothers to their daughters' bodies. They're these love letters, right? So when I was creating that, I was thinking about how intimately connected our body stories are to our moms. You know, it's like this generational story that we pass, and sometimes it's directly connected, and sometimes it's just like... um, in reaction to, or sometimes it's wanting to be like, you know, but there's always a connection to our mama because that's who we look to, to understand how we are in the world. So that was the first piece. The second piece is there was this article done recently in the paper and with the reporter, I had a really long conversation about 
my body story and and then she published one line of that as opposed to like the entire body story. So if you could see mom's faces, mom's making faces currently. So um, so what occurred to me when I read that was that I wanted us to sit down and to talk and to talk, to tell the whole story. Yeah, one line out of a story is sometimes out of context, I would hope, because your mother would never... I don't, I look back at our lives together and I don't see, I feel like, I don't recall being like trying to force you into my zone. I just remember being in my zone mm -hmm. heavily. <laughs> and I think, you know, really how it evolved, like when you guys were kids, prior to you guys, it, my life was a mess, you know, and then when I had you, I actually finally started looking for some healthy outlets, and for me, that was going to the, to the why. Let's start there, actually. Let's start with your, before that, so you said before I had you guys, so let's start with your story. Um, so let's start with, one of the ways I always start the interviews is that I ask women, to tell me about the first time that they realized their body was different from other bodies. And you've shared a little bit of your childhood body story with me, so. Oh, yeah. When I was little, um, yeah, I realized I was chubby as a chubber because uh, I haven't had an uncle that called me chub chubs, chubster, chubby, things that made my face turn red when I was just, you know, first, second, third grade. I knew it wasn't like... It didn't feel like a good thing. Yeah, right. To, to be that, it definitely made me more, you know, like shame. Feel, yeah, I, I, we call it shame, but I, and today, but at that time, it was just this heat came over me. It turned into anger later, but um, <laughs> shame did. But that's a that's a whole nother event. <laughs> the, sh the shame took root and manifested as anger. Um, okay, so. So you know, the uncle who told you you were chubster. My mom, um, my mom had polio, and so she didn't take me out shopping because back when you were in the '60s and you had polio, you were like you had all all limbs cut off and there was no way to move around. So, which was not true. It was more the mental impact that it had on her. So, and I think that. I think my mom dealt with a lot of shame for being, having, you know, gawky, chunky silver crutches mm. that clanked when you walked. And so we didn't, she didn't take me shopping. My, my wonderful father, who was patient, kind, and loving, ha ha ha, not really. <laughs> um, he, he lived with his own demons of critiquing and self-criticism and, um, lots of bitterness and so it was very challenging to take a chubby half-size girl meaning it was yeah, never eights or yeah. not or tens it was eight and a half yeah and i'm sorry there were never eight and a half so it was like 14 and a half 16 and a half yeah they don't i don't think they do half sizes anymore no. so half sizes are like a thing we'd have to explain but that was where that was where chunk, the chunky That's the chubbies people, the chubbies That's the got the half sizes yeah yep. chubsters had to go to the half size and they didn't have a lot of selection for chubsters either, by the way. Um, so that was definitely uh, very challenging to go shop shopping with your dad who didn't want to be there and didn't want to be with a chubby girl. 
Mm. Probably that was very challenging. So, by challenging, do you mean painful? Um, Lonely, sad. I probably felt that, but I probably felt that, but I just I never manif- I never took it internally. I think honestly, I feel like I I feel like I just took it and said I made the best of Chubby. I liked, I mean, I liked food. I liked my ice cream. I was a big ice cream person, I recall that. I thought milkshakes had no calories because they were liquid. Until the neighbor goes, what is wrong with you? You're a moron, you know. You don't even like ice cream now, do you? I don't. Yeah, I, I don't, don't eat so. really any ice cream. It's Yeah, but anyway, um, I'd, I really kind of, I sort of just accepted that was our, that was, that was my life. That was my life. And I was going to, I remember being happy up until probably puberty. And mm-hmm. that's when it all, I remember being somewhat happy. Okay. I mean, I could make, I could entertain myself. I could, I had, I loved trying to engage people and friends, even though I wasn't necessarily popular. Mm-hmm. I still loved to talk, you know, and so I think I made, I was happy up until maybe it was about fifth or sixth grade when the reality of my chubbiness came on board. So then by uh, the summer of seventh to eighth grade, I did what all of us girls do and I starved myself and made myself like I would throw up occasionally. So some, maybe a tiny touch of bulimia, but nothing that went rampant. Mm -hmm. And then by ninth grade, I was using speed and other means whatever, you know, sometimes I'd try my doll and, you know, whatever would try to work to keep my weight down. I didn't know that the speed was about, well, that makes sense to me, but... Freshman I, year. Yeah, I did, and I didn't know that the speed was about keeping the weight off for you. Oh, yeah. Huh. It was important at that time then because yeah. I became popular, and it was important if you were popular... To stay and, thin. ...and pretty, mm-hmm. told I was pretty. I, I got, I went from the chubby duckling, ugly duckling to, you know, pretty, people said. So they said, I never felt, I, I had pretty hair, but I never felt pretty. Hmm. Um, but. What did you think wasn't pretty then? I had the a really chubby face. I, my oh. face, I've always had a chubby face. So I never, in my eyes, I thought they looked like dog eyes, you know, sad dog eyes. And never, Whew. never went. <laughs> I had a really good self image. That's a, that's a pretty gentle lens. It was very gentle. <laughs> So all of that, uh, and it never felt like enough is what you're telling me. It's not like you were able to look in the mirror and go, I've arrived. Oh, mm-mm. no way. Hmm. So you got the speed on board. I got the speed, and then I went into sophomore year and got into like the MDA to all the way through Coke, Coke a little bit senior year and just did drugs all through high school and maintained to be average and maintained uh, a pretty crazy life. Um, what was going on at home? Uh, just a lot of... I really, honestly, if I could think of anything, I felt pretty... In, I mean, I felt pretty invisible because my mom was very, very, very connected to my dad and his drinking which 
Well, it's pretty common for all that age group to go after mm -hmm. the, after work, go have a few beers, and then come home 5.36, eat dinner, fall asleep, get up, repeat. You know, so my dad wasn't the only, you know, it, he wasn't the only one doing that. Mm -hmm. And certainly, but, you know, she, she was confined by their own their own choices to yeah. the home. Yeah. Um, until Kathy got, my sister, got older sister got her license and was able to start driving her around. So those years were pretty, pretty miserable. Lots of hate, lots of anger, lots of. Just cruelty to one another in your family. Yeah, to to between my parents. Mm. My brother got out at eighteen. He mm. left home. Um, What's got, the age difference there? So I'm fifty nine, and uh, he was born in fifty one, and I was okay. born in so fifty nine. Eight, eight years. Yeah. So you were ten when he left. I didn't realize that. Well, and then. He came back, but then he, he pretty much, he got it found, he, he was a hard worker, and, you know, I'm sure that what drove him was the turmoil that we all lived, it was constant, it was, it was horrible, you know, it was just, it was such a sad life, but we all found ways, I think, to, you know, my way to escape Today, I, I believe my, how, why I it was escaping. I remember trying to overdose on Midol um, my 8th grade to ninth grade summer. And, um, and then I got scared. And so then I just wrote it out. I took like 11. And, and you know, I don't know what my goal was looking back, but yeah. I just wanted to be seen. I was just going to say, I bet you wanted somebody to see you. So you didn't tell anybody? Oh, no. And then I got into, like, speeders. I found people that, you know, would hook me up. And then and then it was just, I th I'm sure that it was a much nicer escape to have that, mm -hmm. to be a little high and come home than... Mm -hmm. A little numb, yeah. But the neatest part of all that, so I didn't, I worked out and stuff like that when, because my body was important to me. And being, having men, you know, um, uh, affirm that I was pretty and that I was acceptable and that, you know, that they liked me and wanted me was very important to me, obviously. I did not have that from my father. Mm -hmm. I feel really blessed in the end that I don't have more body image issues or more hang-ups looking at my siblings. And they're, they have a lot... And I keep thinking, oh, is, does it happen in your 60s? <laughs> okay, I'm going to end it now. <laughs> Kitty. <Sorry>, mostly. <laughs> um, but I'm very grateful I, I don't have more body image issues. I worry about my weight. I mean, I do. And more, I worry about it more from a healthy health perspective and, and how I feel carrying it. Because mm -hmm. the more weight I have to carry the the it's very I just get very blue I mean it doesn't feel like it's me mm. I don't have to be skinny mm -hmm. I'm, I've learned to be comfortable with what maybe wouldn't be considered you know the optimal weight but mm -hmm. I I feel like for me working to maintain what is comfortable for me is most important 
today. But when did that, I mean, I, so my memories of being a child, I remember, well, I remember, I feel like you were, I feel like dieting was like a norm. It was like a, there was all, we were always diet. You were dieting and I, by nature, wanted to, I think a huge portion of that was just that I, I mean, you just want to be like your mom. That's just how that works, you know? But it was the 80s, and I feel like everybody was diet. Was everybody well, not dieting? Well, was a big, big thing, right? right? And so the other thing is I had, so I had you mm-hmm. in 78. I had Dan in 80. Mm-hmm. So And I, I definitely was one of those healthy girls. I, I, I took advantage of three donuts a day, man. I, it was my time to be pregnant, and I didn't care. <laughs> Got yelled at by the docs, but this is my time to eat what I wanted. So I definitely put on pounds and was always, after babies, at least 20 pounds over. That, you know, it took effort to to get it off. Uh, Or at least common sense, whatever you want to call it. So then had Tom in 84. So I, I think... I was always on weight. I mean, I was always trying to find this. Okay, I'm going to say it like this. I felt like the way that we ate mm-hmm. was, I wasn't a fan of how we ate. It was always like, um, it had to be a meat, a potato, and a nasty canned vegetable, and a nasty canned fruit. And the meat was always... By we, you mean your family? Yeah. Okay. So... And I felt like it was pork chops because my dad wouldn't eat fish. He wouldn't eat things that... And chicken was once a week. Mm -hmm. But it was roast beef and um, ground beef and beef, 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 you know. So for me, it was like, ugh. You know, and at that time, they were telling you, oh, that's what makes you fat. Yeah, red meat. Red meat. Red meat was the devil. So were eggs, actually. Yeah, eggs were, yeah, super bad. So... I feel like that when I started having kids, I just wanted to, ha- I wanted to look for a healthier mm-hmm. lifestyle. What I can, you know, looking out there, what's a healthier lifestyle? And at that time, that was considered a healthier lifestyle. Oh, yeah. Weight Watchers was the way to go because it was proportions yep. and it was a variety and it was adding fish into your diet and, and learned that I loved fish, you know, really loved fish. I would, I, actually, when I was young, I'd always get fish sandwiches when we'd go out to eat, you know. So, I mean, I, I knew I always loved all that stuff. So, so much of that is about creating the thing that you longed for in your own family. I mean, as, as you're telling me that story, I'm like, you were just, you were, you were going, no, this is what I didn't, and I can relate to this as a parent. This is what you do. You look at your family of origin. You take from it the things that you want to carry forward. And then you look to the rest of it and go, no, this is really how I want this to be. You know, it's like you and I were talking about recently that we can have these parallel narratives and neither one is wrong. You know, that it's just, and you're right, the, the collective wisdom at the time was, was about, it was about Weight Watchers and red meat. And, and we definitely lived by, that is how I remember food. I mean, I remember, I remember food being, um, not restrictive. No. Cause I got you guys chips. Yeah. I, I packed you little, we were the little Debbie family. I mean, see, I feel like, okay, help me with this. I feel like I was not allowed to have little Debbie's. Isn't that, that is true? A lie. That is, she says, that is a lie. You weren't allowed to eat the whole box, but I mean, I did restrict people on that. Well, because, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. 
you guys would have eaten. Let's be honest here. Oh, yeah. All, all three of you would have sat down and said, yeah, screw you. I'm going to eat this whole damn box. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, you could eat whatever you wanted. I, I, I never had an issue with your size. If I don't ever recall that being an issue for me. You're, you know, that, that you weren't tiny, you know, that didn't bother me. Yeah, no, I actually never, I really didn't have, um, so, so much of what I think is important here is that while you, you of course intersect with my narrative because you were the parent who was there, (laughs) you know, you were there. And so, and so when I say things like the Christmas gift when I was nine influenced my understanding of my body. I don't mean that you gave it to me for me to get thinner. I mean that as time goes on and you cement memories, you put them together in this mental map that goes, because I was looking for confirmation that I wasn't okay. That's all. That's all that is. It's just the bias of the bias of pre-puberty and puberty to go, wait a minute, I don't fit in. Wait a minute. I, I don't. And the funny thing about doing this project is, it is so clear to me that if it's not your size, it's something. It's your droopy dog eyes or your, you know, or fat cheeks. It's your fat cheeks or it's your, I sat with this woman who was a model for the project and she was like, my face is crooked. I mean, seriously, stare at me for a minute. My face is fucking crooked. And I was like, what the hell? Where, I mean, it's like we're in a world of funhouse mirrors all the time. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that, I think it's really important as part of our story for me at least, to clarify that I, I never ever felt overtly or even subtly shamed by you. There were things that you couldn't control. You know, I, have you watched, have you watched This Is Us? No. Oh God, it's so good. But so Mandy Moore is the mom in it and she has, you know, Chrissy Metz. So she's Kate. She's extraordinary. She's so good. But her mom is this tiny little songbird, this perfect little songbird in this, right? And so much of Kate's understanding of her body being um, less than comes from her natural comparison to her mother, right? Because right. that's what we do. Like, there's this great scene where her mom's getting ready to go sing somewhere, and she sends her daughter to the closet. And, but, and Kate's always bigger. She's always bigger than her mom. So she sends her to the closet to grab her yellow dress or something. Well, Kate, gra- she grabs it, and as she's taking it in, she looks at the tag, and and then she pulls her own tag up, right? And it's this, I'm like... How old is she? 10, about the t- like 11, 12, you know? And she takes it to her mom. It's just, it's, and her mom's like, just singing, getting ready. Her mom just, and I get that as moms, we're just being, our, we're being people. We're just people. So there's this memory I have of, I was trying to, I was in some sort of, I had to dress up for some stupid project or something. And I had to be Florence Nightingale. Do you remember this? Kind of. And you had this long, straight blue skirt because you worked at the bank. It's a oh, yeah. very banky skirt, right? So, um, and we couldn't find, or we'd let it go, something, I, whatever. I'm trying to put the costume together, and you were like, I've got this skirt. It'll be fine. It's a, I remember it was a 14, right? And this was, so it had to have been junior high. It was junior high because the summer in between junior high and freshman year, I starved myself. Right. So same thing. Same. Yeah. Same. Same. Right. You didn't even know that about me. <laughs> I didn't. I just played that shit right out. So um, I remember putting on this skirt and I couldn't zip it because I hadn't gone through puberty, so it was real thick around the middle. And this is a skirt cut for a woman. I mean, it's cut for a woman who's 
waist, hips, you know? And I, when I saw that scene in This Is Us, I was like, I know that feeling. I know that feeling, you know? And nobody did anything wrong. It's just the way that it plays out. And so I think that part of this narrative for me that's really important is to clarify that there was no part in it where I was like, and my mom shames me for my fat body. That's not what happened for me. It was, I looked to you, and you were doing completely what you believe to be best for the sake of yourself and your family. That's what, that's all that we do as parents. It's not like we show up and go, how can I subtly communicate shitty body image issues to my child? Or destroy my child's how, self-esteem. How do I do that? I don't think that it helped that we were young parents either because I remember in high school, your high school friends, guy friends, mm. I mean, there wasn't a huge age difference. There wasn't, and you were always the, like, object of their affection. And I was, I was in the popular group of girls, but I never looked like everybody else. So I managed to be in the popular group of girls by being funny and witty and athletic and all the other things as opposed to being the physical... Um, uh, fitting the physical mold. And and so, yes, there was a lot of adoration of, you know, Sarah's mom's hot. And that has so much to do. We were super, we were young parents. I mean, when you're young like that and your kid's going to high school, you even look at the people and you're like, are they grandparents? And they're just normal parents, you know? And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm only 10. <laughs> I forgot. I had her when I was five. That doesn't, the math doesn't work, but don't, just forget the math. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Wow. The memories. The memories. You know, and the other thing for me, and I, I probably should bring up, is that their relationship. Who's they? My, my parents. Yeah. I think about, I was thinking about church, you know, going to church, and you know, my mom, after she got poly, my mom was an attractive lady, and she had a figure, and it wasn't, like, um, tiny mm-hmm. or anything. It was it was uh, sort of voluptuous, I guess you would say, you know. She just had a nice uh, 50s figure, and so when she got polio, um in the mid 50s and she was in the hospital for nine months and then came out and was confined to a wheelchair and then crutches but I think her solace you know we all we all have something we find to put to make our solace and I think it turned into food mm-hmm. uh, you know which okay but what would happen then is as she lost that you know so he probably correlated, oh, polio, and now she's fat, and, you know, and he was such a... He hated fat people. Oh, dear God. He did I gotta not tell like fat. Yeah, I, tell I, the fat... we're done, I gotta tell the, the yes. lady on the altar story. Yes. But anyway, so I grew up watching him shame her, I mean, for yeah. her fatness and picking at her, so naturally and talking about women walking down the street when we had gone to Downing's Dairy to get an ice cream cone and you know talking because he'd had a few beers in him and he felt free to say whatever he wanted and you know things that just you were like oh I don't want to be in that position that she's in that's not a very good spot to be in right so then so then of course it would be the good and loving thing to do 
to navigate yourself and everybody you love away from that because it was painful. To, it had to be extremely painful and uncomfortable to watch that, to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I, I marry somebody that hates himself just about as much as my dad hated himself or whatever it was going on inside. And so we just sort of relived. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting how all of that works out. I'm still trying to figure all that out. But <laughs> the fat story about church. Let's is, tell the fat story about I church. That one it's, because a, it's, it's a I pretty moved, telling one. I moved in. Um, I have plenty I, of time, too, by the I, way. I had to move in with him um, because, because my mom died and my sister needed to move out. And it was so healthy and right of her to go, which I was very bitter because... I knew somebody had to be with him because he had some dementia going on. Um, senility, call it what you want. I knew that if we somebody wasn't there to keep an eye on him, everything he had would be gone, and he'd be m- trying to move in with me somewhere. So I was like, you know what? Let's keep the family home intact, keep him in his home as much as we can. So I move in there with him. And um, that was um, 2003, end of 2003. So... I think it turned, It was about 2005, and the stress of living there, just started dating somebody, or my husband today, but just started dating, and the stress of living there was truly intense, mm-hmm. truly intense. And in the meantime, I have these beautiful grandchildren that I'm wanting to love up, I'm trying to, you know, I'm dating and looking for love in my life, and I'm have a a really fucked up hard job at the time and really just pulled in a lot of directions so I mean I definitely was drinking a fair amount and I was eating healthy I was just I was loving life man I was happy my my um now husband loved me and thought I was the best thing you know since sliced bread and I mean, that part made me super happy. So I was happy and con- in those ways, but on the other side, I was very stressed. So um, one night, I had to come home and cook dinner for my dad every night, which I would have normally been just either working or gone to the bar and had a few cocktails and then gone home and cooked dinner, whatever. But I had I came home, and he was just... He was the same miserable person that he was when I was he was raising me. So I had gone over to a cupboard to pick a pan out, to pull a pan out, and he had dementia increasing at this time too, in fairness. Which only <laughs> says that if you're bad, the it gets worse. It just takes off the filters. Yes. The there's truth no is filters. Still, yeah, uh-huh. So I go over and, and this is side note, this is a man who was if you gave him a little bit of an opportunity to not use his filter, he would remind his wife constantly how fat she was. Right? Yes. Okay, same guy. Same guy. Okay. Same one. All right. So I went over to grab a skillet out because I was going to make dinner for, for us, him, us, me, him, and Marty. And uh, I go grab the skillet, and I bend over to grab it. And he goes, oh, my God. That just reminded me of church yesterday. And I turn around and look at him, and I go... What did? Because I was I was dumbfounded. I was like, what just happened? Because I'm just, you know, routinely going, get the skillet out of the cupboard, bend over. He goes, well, when you bent over like that, it reminded me of this woman at church that was up on the altar putting flowers onto the altar. And her ass 
was as wide as a pickup truck. <laughs> I had a skillet in my hand, and I walked over to him, and I go, do you have any idea what you are saying to me? And he goes, well, yeah, you have a, your, your ass is pretty wide right now. You're pretty, you're pretty heavy. And I go, you're very lucky, and Marty actually overheard it, and I go, you're very lucky that I don't hit you with this. I go, you know what? I don't have to cook your dinner. Mm-hmm. And then Marty came in, and I left the room, and I was crying. I, I was going to say, did that make you cry? That would, that would make me cry. Oh, it was heart-wrenching, because, I mean, I was, we gave up a lot to live there. We really did. We, we gave up a lot to live there with him. Well, that and... That's your dad, who says... Never redeems himself at all, yeah, ever. Yeah, I mean, that's Not your dad. Not even till the very end. I, and this, I think, this is the part for me with both of my parents, is that it's really hard when people share their sorrow about losing their, their parents, mm-hmm. because for me, it was freedom. When both of them died, I felt freed from them. Mm-hmm. And I felt like... Not only was I freed from them, but they were freed from themselves. Mm. Like, I, that's the one thing I think of and think, thank you, God, for letting them be free from, from all of their, those demons that just ruled them for all those years that we were all together. Mm-hmm. And I know if they could have done it different, they would have. This, that, that journey would not have looked like it does. If they, if they had had the tools or the power, it would have been different. But it t- it's taken me a long time to get here. I mean, my dad's been gone since 2008, and here we are 10 years later. I, 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 dis- I mean, I, I literally despised him. I mean, just hadn't, like, I was so happy when he passed. I was grateful. Well... I don't. I think that's a natural reaction given all of the, the circumstances. Emotional, yeah. The emotional abuse. Yeah. He was. I mean, he was all. Well, here's the. You know, it's all. Grandparents are always different. So, he was. Um, I don't remember him ever being bad to me, but he also. But I do think that generally grandparents show up with more. Like they're more emotive, they're generally kinder. It's just because you're in a different set of circumstances. You can love on your grandkids differently. So that tells me a lot about who he must have been as a parent because he wasn't even particularly, he wasn't, I wouldn't say he was kind to me. He just wasn't mean to me. I have a few very select memories as he got older and I got older, just a couple of tender times in the car with him um, where he would talk about his own parents. Which is, you know, when I talk about how our shrinking stories, how they're passed to our parents and they're passed to their parents and they're passed to their parents. God, just talk about his story or hers or Graham's story. I mean, just um, these layers of horror and shame and Mm -hmm. nightmare stories that Mm -hmm. we can't, I can't fathom what it was like to live, like grandma lived through the depression you know, and she talked about not ever having enough food. Mm-hmm. And then later in life, all grandma could do was hoard food because yeah. that's just how her body was playing out its story of, I might be starving everywhere else, but I won't starve, mm-hmm. you know, which that's kind of beautiful, actually. There's some wisdom in that. But all that being said, that's still like a prison. So it makes perfect sense to me that you're like, and they're free. we're all free now. 
Me free, they free. Me free, they free. <laughs> and we're out. I was very grateful. I felt so guilty when my mom died because I had little moments later, but nothing, I've never mourned. I've never mourned her because there's still a lot of anger probably inside about her. I feel like she meant to help, but she sabotaged me and my children. Mm. And I feel, I really feel like had she not... If she would have just let those chips fall as they may, sometimes, instead of, no, I'm not bringing uh, rice with three times the cheese on it for you. No. Well, tell that story. I mean, yeah, so they don't know this. So tell, tell a little bit, about, tell a little bit about, about how Grandma interacted with us. Well, first of all, one of the things is um, when you, after you were born and I was living there with her because dad went, your dad went overseas, or to over over to Hawaii, I had to. I lived there. Well, her and Kathy would get in the car and they'd take you with them, and I'd be like, "Well, can I go with you?" And she would be like, "And this didn't happen every time, but she'd be like, no, you need to clean today. You do the cleaning, and we'll we'll take Sarah and get her out of here." A lot of times, I felt like she didn't think I could raise you guys. Obviously, the way she thought I should raise you. And so she would take, she'd just take over. Mm -hmm. She would interject herself. And I, as, as you guys got older, you guys all learned, mm, that's a pretty good gig I got going there. If I want a uh, triple cheeseburger or a Big Mac and a shake and, you know, 10 tons of fries, I don't know what you guys did, but... That's the thing is that I don't... So by the time that was going on, I was really weight obsessed. So that wasn't my... I mean... That was, that was high school. Boys. That was the boys. Because I could, I, by that point, I had, I had a tight, tightly controlled relationship with food. So there's no way. Well, when I found that out, I'm like, well, is that what she's been doing? Like All because along. I was oh. cooking. No, she used to buy me clothes. The food thing was the boys. She was, it was all the fast food that they wanted. So, she would sab. sab I felt like she sabotaged a lot of the. Um, a lot of those years of trying, and then, then the boys start, you know, going awry. Then the boys got to smoking, and then they were stealing my cigarettes that I was keeping. And then they would call her for cigarettes, and she'd bring cigarettes over to a thirteen and a fifteen-year-old. Not even a thirteen; he was eleven. I <laughs> swear to God, he was eleven when, because I left that house by the time he was twelve, mm -hmm. and she was bringing cigarettes over to him. It just, yeah, the set, and I, I know she never, ever intended, I, and I always, when I tell this story, like, always, like, I feel like God just breaks, that was never her intent, and I know that, but it's just really hard when I watch the boys struggle today to not feel like, gosh, what would it have looked like, what would it have looked like, and I know we can all do that, and I hate doing that, because it's, it doesn't serve any good purpose, but I'm human. And mm -hmm. so there is that thought where I'm like, had she really just supported me? Mm -hmm. But she didn't have the tools. I mean, I, and this is where I'm, I'm in this circle all yeah. the time. It's this little circle. And where I really want to get to is to, to, not, to not even hold any of that inside of me. To just say, it was what it was. It in the end, it's all divine, and it's all meant to be, and we'll all find 
will find the right space and the right path and it will be all okay in the end. Everybody's going to find their way. Regardless, Mary isn't around anymore to, to buy cigarettes and to do things, but... Um, She's not. She is not. She was a beautiful soul. My she was. friends, My friends adored her. Just, they adored her. And I just look at them when they talk, and I go, yeah, yeah. She's great. Yeah, I loved her. And, you know, that's the other odd thing. She was the best grandma. She was so loving to you guys and just... Oh, just, I mean, just took you into her bosom, you uh-huh. know? Literally. With she had us? a big, ample bosom. With us? Mm-mm. Well, I noticed that as I got older. Actually, I noticed that she struggled with, uh, once I got to a certain age, she wasn't warm to me anymore. Oh. She was never cold to me, so don't get me wrong. I mean, I always knew she loved me. But it was like once you got to a certain age, she felt uncomfortable, like, really leaning in the same way. Yeah. She, she, I knew her love language because she would write checks, right? So that's how I knew then because she stopped kind of being snuggly. But I remember I was talking about this earlier. Like, her house was very nurturing for me, very mm-hmm. nurturing. The boys, I think the boys both have that opinion too. Mm-hmm. Which is cool. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about one more thing and then give you um, – an opportunity to kind of leave with whatever wisdom you want to leave the people with. But one of the things, I think it was in the last year, maybe before that, you and I were talking and um, it was kind of, it's, I was coming to this place that I've found myself in, which is like, I'm just done trying to control everything about my body and the outcomes. And so I think you said to me, I'm pretty sure we were in the car going somewhere and you were like, maybe being fat isn't like a bad thing. Like maybe you could just, maybe it could like not be the thing that, is it's always about whether or not you're fat or not, right? Do you remember this? Keep going. Okay. Well, That's I, it. as part of the narrative, it's interesting to me that as bookends, like the beginning of the story is that there's this, you know, this confirmation for me that there's something wrong with my body and that you were one of the first people to invite me into a space that went, maybe it doesn't have to always be about that. Because you've watched me over decades try to figure it out. And the only times I've ever been thin is when it's been all consuming. I'd have to, it has to be the thing I'm doing. It's the only thing I'm doing. In order for me to be thin, I have to be constantly obsessed with what I'm putting in my mouth or not putting in my mouth. I have to be exercising and telling everybody about the plan, whether it's vegan or gluten-free or Weight Watchers or the, I mean, you've watched me try all the things. I know. (laughs) Every single fucking thing. I think only because I'm always like, oh, what's the plan now? Yeah, what's, what's the next plan? I'll give it a shot. And then I'm like, oh, hell no. <laughs> well, the new plan is I'm just going to go ahead and be in my body, and I'm going to listen to it and take care of it. And, and I looked at your picture. Keep going. I'll, I'll, I'll keep going. Kay. I looked at the picture from the Cubs game, and I, I thought, oh, my God, she looks so happy and healthy and, like, just radiant. That's good, I actually... That should tell you... Yeah, I actually... Here's the truth. I feel that way now most of the time, which is funny to me. Not haha, more like observational funny, because I've never... I have been 100 pounds thinner than this, and I never felt... That, I did not feel this good. You talked about it in the beginning about, I just want to feel okay in my skin. And I think ultimately, if I can set an objective of this project, it's that. And that is a different definition for every human being I'm going to talk to. 
they're going to be some things about the way that they look at themselves that are not like the woman who thinks her face is crooked. I mean, probably not going to have the face broken and, you know, so in that situation, you might need to flip your lens. But ultimately, I want women to be able to sit with their reflection and find themselves in it. You know, we're so busy that we, we check it real fast and then we judge it and we move on. I want women to be able to sit with who they are and just go, no, this is, this is me. And I, um, I might be beautiful or I might be thin or I might be fat. And all of that is just a part of who I am and my contribution to the world. So I really wanted to, I really kind of wanted to get your perspective on watching, you know, probably the, pro the process for me the last 10 years at least as far as in relationship to my body. And then you kind of just answered it because you were like, you look radiant now. I feel that way from the inside out. It doesn't, it's weird. It but just, it's not, for me, when I look at you, I think of 10 years ago and I think of today and it's it's really not about the food in the end. Mm -hmm. It's about our lives. And um, it's about where we're at and, and how the happiness that we are allowing ourselves to feel and create and I look at you at this point in your life, and you are, you are full bore into, I am going to create, you're in just total creation mode, you're, you're really coming to your own, and it's, it's that you've, all the way around, you know, you've, you've found, um, this is how I see it at least, you, you found a partner that you love, and loves you, and embraces you, and you guys work towards the same goals and you you suffer together and you rejoice together and all of those things you share the experience of your lives together and then with your children you do the same you guys integrate that same love that same sharing with the, the kids and the kids have really embraced that and they're, te they're all teenagers, pretty much. I, he's pretty darn close, the youngest to a teenager. But they're all teenagers. And to have your teenage kids acting the way they are right now is truly a miracle. Mm -hmm. And that goes to say a lot about, I believe in the end, it's that we, we, we create our own little silos and we put ourselves in the little silo. And if we don't find what makes us happy... That's, it's really not about the food. It's not about the fat. It's about happiness mm. is really in the end. It's finding what brings joy to you. Mm -hmm. And I, I got to be honest with you. I mean, I, I'm at a point in my life, I think I'm at a turning point that I'm trying to find what brings joy to me. Um, the kids always did, but I mean, they still do. But I'd, it's not the same as when they're growing up. The yeah. Growing up is, is just a whole nother story. Now they're teenagers, they still bring joy and light to my life. That I would never want them to think they don't. But it's different. It's a little more, it's not as connected. You yeah. know, it's a little more sporadic, which is, which is what it should be. They have their own lives. So for me, I'd always put my, probably that's the basket that my eggs have been in. And then my other grandchild's far away. So I don't really get to share in that daily joy like I do with, with the three. So I'm really looking. I 
feel like this this is a really this is going to be a very hard year for me, but also a very rewarding one. It will be a very very challenging year. Why? Because I'm going to be looking for what brings me joy, mm. and I do not know where that path is going to lead me. The best journeys usually start out without a destination, so I'm pretty excited to find out too. Anything else? Because I don't feel like you can top that. That was real good right there. Nope. I think that's it. That's wisdom from my mama. I think that's all I have for today. We can tune in tomorrow. Oh my gosh, do you remember? Slumber parties? Oh. For any of the girls who, because some of the girls will listen, do listen to this. So this is perfect. This is actually a perfect ending. So when I was in junior high and high school, I used to have friends over all of the time. And in the mornings, we would gather around the dining room table because mom would roll in with some donut sticks, generally, or some donuts. We'd all have some breakfast. And we would start to dump all of our teenage drama on the table. And uh, we did it. And then mom would sort through it. And she would... At the end, it would be like somebody uh, like giving a gospel sermon of some sort about how we should behave in the world, and she would finish, and one of the friends would say, Chris's lesson number 472. <laughs> so, it happened in the car, too. So all these years later, I would like to say from Beauty the Interviews that um, I'm grateful that you were here with me to give us Chris's lesson number 473. And I'm hopeful that there are hundreds more. I love you. I love you too, Mama. All right, friends. That's it for our chat with my Mama. You guys, this was such an important conversation for me. It is so easy for me to stay stuck in my own world, my reality determined by this linear narrative that I've reinforced over so many years. It's like my mom's story paints these circles around the straight lines that I've drawn that have directed so much of my existence. And in her story, I'm also able to find so much understanding, understanding about who she is as her own whole human being. Her story helps me to actually see her. And when my eyes are able to finally rest on her, what I see is so beautiful. It makes me wish she could see herself through my lens. I'm hopeful that in our story, you might be able to find some truth to shed light on your own because I know for sure that our mothers are a link to understanding ourselves. They're a channel to what it takes to give ourselves permission to be full and to take up space in the world. And full is something that I think all of us deserve. If you think you might want to hear more stories from women about their bodies, about beauty, and about belonging, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. If you loved today's episode, take a second and leave a review so that other people will be able to find us. You can find out more information about the beautiful project in the show notes. Thank you for joining us today and lending your voice to our chorus of courage as we create a world where women belong with substance and with strength. See you all soon.